On today's episode of Driven Too Far, we've got co-creator Mark Morell with the Best Fleets to Drive For program, and he's going to help us take a deep dive in to see how this program has influenced drivers over the years. Hello, I'm Andrew Winkler, and this is Driven Too Far, the truth about trucking, a podcast that helps over-the-road truck drivers balance career and family. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Driven Too Far. Today we're joined by guest Mark Morell with the Best Fleets to Drive For program. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing just fine. Thanks, Andy. Thanks Pre- for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you being on with us. So let's jump in and let's talk a little bit about this Best Fleets to Drive For program. Tell me a little bit about the origins and how did you come up with the idea? <laughs> uh, well, like a lot of things, it kind of started with an observation that something wasn't happening that we felt should be happening. So it started, uh, well, 15 plus years ago now. We were reading through um, Fortune magazine does their annual uh, evaluation of the best companies to work for and sort of across North America. And we were reading through that. Uh, that particular year, Google was uh, on the cover as number one. And as a tech company, we always sort of check what other tech companies are doing. And we were looking through it and we noticed that there was a lot of different uh, industry sectors that were being represented. It wasn't just tech companies, they were well represented, but it wasn't just tech companies. Every other industry sector was in there. So it was retail, manufacturing, hospitality, pretty much every industry sector except trucking. And so we're looking through this and like, well, this is crazy. Because everywhere we go, we hear people talking about driver shortage, where you got to get more people into the industry, but you never see trucking participating in these kind of best employer programs that help draw people to the industry. And that seemed to be a real gap. So we looked at other years and it was the same thing. And then you start looking at regional uh, best employer programs and trucking wasn't really participating in that. So we saw there was this real disconnect between the industry that was saying, hey, please, come to this industry, we, we need to get more people into the industry, but also not participating in one of the best ways to get people to look at an industry. So we thought, well, that's kind of weird, but if they're not going to participate in these uh, existing programs, maybe we should create a program of our own. Maybe we should create a dedicated program that recognizes the best trucking companies for people to work for. And um, that way we can not just recognize sort of the generic uh, workplace traits that make something uh, a good place to be, but also look at some trucking specific things and get more into the industry the specific nuances. So that was what prompted us to start putting together a, the idea for a program. And originally it was just going to be kind of a survey and kind of data collection and looking at what people are doing and what's working. And then from there it sort of morphed into this uh, idea of an annual kind of survey and contest where we recognize the winners and uh, have some celebration of the people that are doing some really good things. We uh, started out by approaching magazines. I mean, all of the other best employer programs are done with magazines, so that just seemed logical for us as a place to start. And then uh, none of them were really interested. I think they were all sort of nervous about losing advertisers or something and us not really having a great sense of timing we were doing all of this just as the great recession was starting so everybody was nervous about everything about the economy and here we are saying hey let's recognize the good employers and maybe uh, cost you some advertisers and yeah they weren't having any part of that so that's when we uh, 
came to the uh, Truckload Carriers Association, and at the time, the TCA's focus was really heavily on education, public image, and networking, and best fleets, or the idea for a best employer program was a perfect fit. So we launched the program with them in uh, the summer of 2008 and uh, recognized our first kind of class of winners in 2009 and have been doing it ever since. Uh, and I, I got involved in it, I think, 2012 was the first time I hadn't heard about it. Sometime in 2011, I heard about it. So I've been involved with it a long time. Uh, I've said it before. I think this is one of the greatest platforms out there uh, in our industry. And it's so worthwhile for carriers to get involved and drivers alike to pay attention to it. Uh, how long did it uh, take you to develop that that very first year? And maybe how has the program evolved from 2009 uh, to, to current year? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. It, it took, it was a few months of kind of planning and putting some pieces together. And uh, our core business is education. So the human resource side of it isn't, isn't that far away from what we normally do. Training and HR are often working hand in hand. So we had a really good sense of sort of the, the HR uh, issues that we wanted to uh, evaluate. And we did bring in some HR consultants and some industry people as well to kind of um, get a bunch of ideas together and uh, collaborate on the initial version of it. And then um, we also knew that we wanted to not just evaluate what fleets tell us they're doing. We wanted to get drivers involved as well. So one of the things that we've done differently uh, from other evaluation programs is that we always evaluate both the effort that the company is making and the response from the employees, in this case, the drivers. So there are a lot of other best employer programs that really focus primarily on employee satisfaction. So it were, in some cases, it's just a survey of employees. Uh, and, and in some cases, it's just a submission from the company of the efforts that they're making. But we always wanted to have both because we thought that the key was going to be companies that are making an effort to move the industry forward, to try some new things and um, explore things that maybe haven't been done in the past. And at the same time, uh, needs to have good feedback from drivers. So those companies need to be making an effort, but that effort needs to be recognized by the drivers. So from the beginning, we uh, always had those major elements. And we also knew that we wanted to incorporate things like um, their turnover numbers. You know, if you're doing the right things and people are happy with those, turnover should reflect that. And safety as well. I mean, you can't have a great workplace. It's inherently unsafe to be in. So we did want to factor all of those in. So those things haven't really changed. What has changed is the specific questions that we ask. And um, that changes every year. So we have different questions on the survey or we add and, and remove questions on the survey every year. We also continue to um, evolve the driver survey to get their opinions on different things. And we are continuing to refine the ways that we calculate retention, uh, driver retention, calculate safety scores. And every year we have another uh, data set that we can add in that allows us to start controlling for influencing factors. So for instance, flatbed uh, is, known to have a bit of a higher turnover rate. Uh, people that are out for longer 
uh, companies that keep drivers out for a little bit longer typically have some challenges on turnover as well. So we control for all of those different influencing factors. And every year that gets a little bit more robust as we have more data to add into that mix. But the core of the program has really stayed the same um, since its launch. Uh, you know, and I think the gold there is uh, when you were talking about how you validate um, the the drivers on that on the back side of it. But for people that maybe aren't super familiar with the program, can you kind of walk us through the steps of the program and and where how a company gets involved in that? Sure. Yeah, it, it starts with a nomination from a driver, and that's one other thing that has been there since the very first year is. We believe that it needs to start with a driver or owner operator working with a company stepping up and saying, I think this is a great place to be. Doesn't take a lot, only needs one uh, to get started, but we think that's an important part because if you're providing a good workplace, you're going to have at least one person who will step up and say, hey, these guys are great to work with. And it's not that high of a bar, but it's at least a starting point. And then from there, companies go through the questionnaire uh, process or the the corporate evaluation that starts with a questionnaire and it's a lengthy questionnaire it's always been lengthy and it gets longer every year that's around a hundred questions that companies have to answer really explaining what they do in pretty much every facet of the business that relates to drivers so it's hr compensation benefits professional development operational strategy performance management um, everything that touches a driver we ask about and it's direct and indirect things as well so we look at how companies manage their um, their business beyond the drivers how they're evaluating their dispatchers how they're evaluating their recruiters how they grow their management team like anything that involves that involves drivers we're asking about and after they submit all of that then we go through an interview and the interview is a really nice companion piece to the questionnaire because there are a lot of things that companies do that they sort of gloss over and we can pull out through that interview that there may be something happening there that they're not even really aware of. A lot of times people are doing really nice things and they're, they've just always done it that way so it doesn't occur to them to talk about it. So through the interview, we're able to pull more of that out and discuss some of the things that are happening Occasionally, there's things that people are kind of glossing over it in the questionnaire, or they're maybe uh, overselling it in the questionnaire, and we can get some of those details. But it really creates a good picture of what's happening in the company. That combination of the questionnaire and the interview, we really have a good sense of what the company is doing and who they are as a business. Then the next part of that is a driver survey, and that's the part where we put a survey out to the to the drivers a. Uh, portion of the driving force needs to answer that. It's different depending on the size of the company. So smaller fleets, we need a higher percentage to get meaningful numbers, uh, but it gives us a chance uh, to see what the drivers have to say about what's happening in that company and allows us to sort of cross-reference with what the company is telling us. So that lets us see what's happening with the drivers, how happy they are, what they'd like to see changed, you know, is the company really doing what it says it's doing, that kind of thing. And the final part of it is an assessment of the company's retention scores, uh, how successfully they're keeping their workforce and what their safety performance looks like. And by putting all of those together, we can get a good picture of the efforts that the company is making, how happy drivers are with those efforts and the results that the company is seeing. And all of those together 
give us the final scores that identify the top 20 best leads to drive for each year. I can attest to the uh, the survey part of it where the company takes the questionnaire. Uh, it is grueling the first year you do it because you spend so much time actually doing a lot of research. Um, you go through the questionnaire and there may be things in there from finance or from HR or just numbers you don't have off the top of your head. So you've got to go research it. But the great thing from the company's perspective is that um, as you continue to be involved in the program year after year, uh, your format allows you to save or use last year's answers again. And that's a big time saver. So really, once you get in it for the first year, then it's about just going back in and kind of tweaking your answers, adding any programs uh, that you've done over the last year, or maybe taking away some that, that you've stopped doing and stuff. But that um, that certainly makes it more painless. But uh, the the pro- but we worked we, we worked to make it painful again. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you got to push forward. Yes. There's always things added that make it a little bit painful. Yeah, it's not an easy process to go through. You do need to involve everybody in the company because every department needs to contribute to it. And not only that, we have a relatively short time frame to get it all finished at one of the busiest times of the year. Because we do this through the fall. And most trucking companies are not sitting around bored uh, in the fall. So it takes a lot just to get all of that done. And I say this to people every year, if you get all of that stuff finished and submitted on time, that in itself is an accomplishment. That means that you've pulled together as a team, you've got all of this data collected, you were able to collaborate and work together and get it done in a short time frame at the busiest time of year and keep your business running as well. That's saying something just on its own. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the overall impacts you think the program has had. What have you seen from your perspective? Um, how have things changed for the better in our industry? Something that maybe you can relate directly back to the best fleets programs. Yeah, um, I'd say the biggest thing that I've noticed over the years uh, changing, and, and this took a while for me to recognize that that's what was happening, but the biggest thing that's changed is that the the industry uh, and certainly the best fleets community have developed a much better ability to talk about the human side of the business. When we first started this program, one of the things that we saw as a gap that kind of pushed us into doing this was that everybody's talking about a driver shortage, but you couldn't really have a meaningful conversation with people about the HR side of the business. They'll talk about equipment all day. Then you talk about load planning and how to price a shipment and all that endlessly. But you start talking about the people side of it, start talking about the drivers. People really didn't know how to talk about it. So it's like the the industry didn't have the language to really describe what they were doing or talk about their culture, workplace culture and things like that. So everybody would talk about it the same way. They would always say, well, we have an open door policy. We treat drivers like family and you're a name, not number. Okay. But everybody is saying the same thing. So what does that mean? And is that really better? And what we've noticed over the years, as we have gone through this process and share the results every year, and we talk about it and we produce the results book, the industry is developing a, a much better language for discussing what it actually does and the ability to talk about what they're doing to create their workplace culture beyond those kind of uh, simplistic starting points. So that's, I think, a real positive because you can't really 
mature and grow the people side of the business unless you have the language to really discuss it and understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, why this is different or better than that other thing, why you're making those changes. And if you're going to sell this industry to outsiders and say, come into our industry, you need to be able to explain that in kind of a, a mature and um, kind of uh, I don't want to say complex, but an, an advanced sort of detailed way. And that's one of the things that really has changed. We get a lot less of the, we're a great workplace because we have an open door policy. We don't hear that very much anymore. Uh, people can explain what they are doing to build their culture, how they communicate with their team members, what they're doing to make people feel like they're part of the organization. And that's really been nice to see. You and I had uh, had a recent conversation and I shared um, kind of my journey through the Best Fleets program and where I started. And I've been able to take uh, two separate companies to the top 20 and also overall winners uh, in my career. So that's been a fantastic thing. But you talk about the open door policy. You know, everybody says it. Do they really mean it? Um, yeah, I'm not so sure. Uh, I shared a recent story with you about when I arrived at my current company and how uh, there were still silos there from drivers. And it's always been like that in the industry. And I, I, I don't know if the executives or the, the leadership teams in these companies just they don't see it or they think this is business as usual. But um, I got to think there's still a lot of companies out there that are kind of running old school, meaning they isolate the drivers. Uh, it's not a true open door policy. It's, you know, the silos still exist. So what do we got to do as an industry to continue to break those down? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. That wasn't on the talking point. You're making me think here. Um, and, and I have a lengthy answer. Uh, so get comfortable. Um, first, uh, I'm not a big fan of the phrase open door policy. I don't think that it's inherently better uh, to, you know, this idea that all doors should be open and anybody should be able to wander in or you can go to anybody and get help. If I'm a driver and I need to go into the GM's office to get help on something, that's a problem. That means that there's two or three levels in between that aren't really doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's the issue to fix. It, you know, the person who is the direct manager of that driver should be addressing those issues. I shouldn't need to be relying on the fact that I can chase down the president on his cell phone on weekends to get a problem solved. So at the same time, I kind of know people are saying, okay, we should have an op open door really means we should be flexible in communication. We should be building a collaborative team and all of that kind of stuff. And that absolutely is right. But there's a lot of different ways to do that. If you look at the job of a driver is inherently to be disconnected from the company. You're out on the road all the time. Even people that are doing local work, they come and pick up their truck and then they're gone all day. Well, that's very different uh, from a lot of other jobs. So what is the company doing to make people feel like they're part of that team? And now there are tons of ways to do that with you know, virtual meetings and group discussion boards and you know, chat and all of this other stuff where you can keep people connected mobile apps and all of these things. So there are lots of ways to build those kind of communication um, programs. And a lot of these management platforms 
are based on collaboration. So you've got EOS that I know you guys follow, but there's also 4DX and these other things that really focus on getting people working in sort of um, across department teams. And that really helps a lot. And when people have those kind of things implemented, they start to see that there are a lot of places where they need to be making changes, where there's kind of, like you say, you know, business, old school type business that's happening that really is creating barriers that don't need to exist. Uh, one of my personal issues is the concept of the driver window or the driver counter. This is from somebody coming from outside the industry. I cannot comprehend how you can have your employees who actually pay the bills basically locked out of your building. Like that's ridiculous. Tear down those stupid walls. Why do you have a counter? You're treating people like they're coming through a drive-through window at a coffee shop or something. Um, so I've worked in jobs where you're essentially offsite all the time. In the consulting business, that's what happens. You fly out to the customer site on Monday, you fly home on Friday, you almost never go into the office. But when you do go to the office, you're not standing in reception waiting for somebody to let you in. You get to walk into the office that your work pays for. So the driver window, the driver counter, that's one of those old school things that I think people that are really thinking about how do we build a, an effective collaborative team, they're looking at it and saying, wow, we don't need these anymore. And I noticed probably six, about six years ago, there's a lot of fleets that were rebuilding their terminals, rebuilding their, uh, their operation centers, and they were going to this kind of open concept. So it's not a driver counter anymore. Sometimes there'd be a separate driver entrance just because the trucks come into a secure yard and you need a different door to go into. But it opens up into an area that everybody is in. There may be a lounge for drivers, but there isn't a separate driver room and office staff room. It is the lounge. It is the, the place where people can go and, and hang out together. So we definitely saw a move to getting away from these walls and moving into more of a modern kind of office style approach. And that's had a very positive effect. Um, you definitely need to find ways to collaborate, but I don't think there's necessarily a problem with the door being closed once in a while. And I think most people acknowledge that. I mean, I've seen people saying, well, we got an open door policy. Our doors are always open. And I say, well, what if you need to have a private conversation with somebody? What if you're on the phone with your banker? Oh, well, in those cases, the doors are closed. So then your doors aren't always open. Which is it? Are you open or are you not? <laughs> right. So, figure out how to communicate and how to build collaborative teams. And if the doors close, sometimes fine, but have processes where a direct, uh, a direct manager is actually addressing the issues, build that strong management team, uh, a good group of team leads, all of those things that you need and the communication issues tend to resolve themselves. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Don't forget to go to driventofar.com, leave us a message, and we'll address it on future episodes of the podcast.